welcome everybody and thank you for coming out for another Skybrook Spaces. I'm excited to be talking with Sean, CEO of Pixel Vault, also known as G-Funk. For those who have followed me and followed him, <clears throat> I've been a pretty avid critic of some of the things that Pixel Vault has done. But I want to say up front, before anything else, I give a lot of respect to him for going out, getting his voice out there, uh, addressing issues directly, and making corrections on things that haven't gone perfectly. And so before I say anything else, I have a lot of respect for him coming on stage. I have a lot of respect for him joining Skybrook. And I appreciate that he's making a solid effort. And I'm interested to hear what's going on with Pixel Vault, what's going to be going on with their new game. I read through the white paper. Uh, Sean, I'd love for you to introduce yourself. Love to hear your background. What got you up to the stage of starting Pixel Vault, how starting Pixel Vault went, and then what got us to here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so sort of a, a lifetime entrepreneur. Um, <laughs> dating back to when I was like a little kid, I just have always had these little hobby uh, side hustle type things. Uh, and I was working in the entertainment space, um, building uh, a different business, and was also uh, getting an MBA at Duke. And uh, Pixel Vault started as just something that I thought was fun. It was, it was my hobby, uh, much like most people uh, on this space. Uh, it was what I was doing in my free time. Um, I started to see in the early stages of uh, 2021 uh, and, and late 2020, for that matter, people starting to establish these uh, online personas uh, identities, brands, leveraging uh, PFPs, uh, specifically CryptoPunks. And I thought, wow, that's, that's really interesting. What if I could make th these CryptoPunks movie stars, right? No one at that point in time had really explored the concept of storytelling as a method of value accrual. Uh, and now it's, it's really sort of table stakes for the NFT space. But it was something new at the time. And so uh, we created comic book characters based off these 16 CryptoPunks uh, and gave the fractional tokens to the community who purchased the, uh, the first comic. And we were off to the races from there. It, it actually took six weeks to sell out at the time. Uh, you know, most, most would, uh, would say you were dead on arrival if that was the case now, but... Um, you know, I really believed that we were on to something big and we've continued trying to stay one step ahead of, of the rest of the space, trying to really push the boundaries of what it means to be a, a blockchain native project, trying to leverage the medium, the technology as a method of en enhancing the collector's experience. Um, I was always a, a baseball, basketball card collector growing up. And, um, you know, trading and, and finding different ways to interact with my cards is what made it a much more compelling experience. Um, don't want just a bunch of NFTs sitting in your wallet doing nothing. So from day one, we were really about gamifying uh, NFTs. And now with this latest iteration, we are fully gamifying the experience, uh, now, now building actual games. So uh, we've come a long way since then. As you said, not everything has gone perfectly, but um, you know, if you're trying to do new things, uh, of course, 
uh, not everything will go perfectly, but we're here committed to, um, to getting it right in the long run. And those that stick with us and have been with us, I think, uh, know that that's always our goal is to, to get it right and do cool things that no one else is doing. No, absolutely. And um, I know that you're also going to be putting out a new game. You put out a pretty lengthy white paper, 40-some pages, read through that. If you could kind of distill that 40-some pages down into, you know, one minute or so of talking, what's the basic idea behind the game? And then who is the primary demographic outside of the current pixel vault community that you're trying to reach with that game. Yeah. So it's actually much broader than just the game itself. So we've incubated a protocol called reboot that's designed um, to really flip the tables on both gaming and the web three ecosystem. I think a lot of people, and uh, certainly you have been uh, vocal on this topic would say that, uh, especially the larger Web3 projects uh, throughout 2022, we started to see um, uh, really a misalignment of incentives between company and community. And Web3 is really built on this promise of sort of unification and involvement of, of community with, with the actual company and the inner workings of the project itself. And so Reboot allows for uh, ecosystem participants to really take part in uh, the inner workings of this protocol, which is basically just a set of rules upon which uh, games are played. So it's sort of uh, an ecosystem, an economy in a box, uh, doing the heavy lift such that any game developer can put their game on the protocol and participants can understand uh, how the economy works um, and and know that there are a given set of specifications upon which that all of these games will interact. Um, and specifically in this case, it's, uh, it's skill-based gaming. So you saw Axie, the rise and fall of Axie, right? This concept of play to earn. Well, for us, that's not the future of Web3 gaming. It's play to win. Um, this idea that you know pe- people want to have skin in the game, but it should be about your skill and not just showing up to click a button. Uh, it shouldn't be a grind. Games are mo- meant to be fun. And so Reboot is an ecosystem of skill-based games. And our very first game, which is called Battle Plan, which is lever- leveraging the inhabitants IP, um, is an auto brawler. So you can imagine a game like auto chess uh that also is sort of mixed with kind of like a what, what is an auto brawler just for the audience to understand yeah, so, so that we're all kind of on the same yeah, page so um it it's mixed with kind of like this collectible card game concept so essentially what you do is you collect skills um and you set forth sort of your strategy in advance of the battle itself happening uh and then once you basically have the strategy based on your holdings. So the NFTs that you're playing with and the skills uh, and matching them to the best of your ability and setting forth this strategy, you, you basically click play and it plays out in front of you. And we've uh, we're working with a triple a 
uh, animation studio partner. So it's, it's going to be really visually amazing, uh, these custom 2D animations. Uh, and so you'll, you'll basically watch the battle play out. You can share it on social media. There'll be some fun sort of like taunts and, and other things that you can unlock through gameplay. So um, it's really meant to be a social experience and it's a game that will be easy to play, but hard to master. Got it. Got it. So what is the incentive for someone to play the pixel vault auto battler versus playing uh, like an iPhone app that I might download or something like that? Yeah. So um, I, I wish we had Aaron on here. Um, he has a, a really lengthy background in um, free-to-play gaming. And you see these sort of dark patterns of monetization with free-to-play gaming, where uh, basically every aspect of the game is designed to get you to, uh, to try to get you to pay uh, to play, right? Um, in this ecosystem we're able to separate ourselves from that because the idea is that the player is putting up something of value up front, i.e. you put a quarter into the arcade, and then based on your play, you receive rewards uh, commensurate with, with the skill and, and level of accomplishment that you attain during the game. Um, and so there's no need to uh, try to basically create... Um, like falsified gameplay or, or, or try to leverage these mechanics to get people to pay for things. Uh, it's very clear what's happening. Um, and like uh, with, with DFS, for example, uh, a user... What's DFS? Daily Just Fantasy Sports. Sports. So like okay. a user Got will put $20 into the Millionaire Maker every week and they know that on average they're probably going to lose unless they're very good. Um, but it's a fun experience. Side note, <clears throat> really interesting side note. My friend David Bergman is the number one daily fantasy sports player in the world. Clears a few million every really? year. Just side note. Interesting. Yeah. So before all of this, I, uh, not a few million every year, but while I was, you know, pushing through my entrepreneurial, uh, endeavors, I, I would make, you know, 50 to a hundred K a year playing DFS. And so a lot of the same principles there. Uh, game theory, et cetera, you can see in um, in Pixel Vault and ultimately will uh, will also be visible in um, the Auto Brawler itself. Um, that being that when you start your game, you don't know what your opponent is going to play. So not only is it um, a game intended to like maximize the the players that you're playing with, so like your your inhabitants, the cards you have, etc. But you also are able to potentially set forth a strategy based on what you would expect your opponent's strategy to be, uh, which is is very similar to to DFS, right? Um, you may know that player A is actually the optimal play, but based on how many players are going to be using that player you're actually better off using player B who is projected for slightly less points, but um, it will be much lower owned. So there, there's a, a lot of different layers to this gameplay. As I said, easy to play, hard to master. Um, but at the end of the day, it's more fun having skin in the game 
than not. And so that's really the the underlying premise of the Reboot protocol is, one, allowing for the ecosystem participants to participate in the actual underlying mechanics, i.e., um, you know, liquidity providers, uh, validators, you hold the in-game currency, unifying it between a single token across many communities, um, but also uh, through the gameplay and this concept of the arcade economy and the best games getting the quarters and the most skilled players getting the most tickets to go trade in at, at the cage, uh, just like all of us did when, when we were growing up. So um, all of the items in game are backed by the token. And so through gameplay, you're able to, to create liquidity and, and ultimately um, should be able to, to have things of value coming from your gameplay, which I think is something that um, has, not, has not been perfected just yet. So with this dynamic, uh, like the two questions that come to mind is one, like what's the revenue model for Pixel Vault? Because obviously if you don't have a revenue model, then you don't make money. Then the, this doesn't run into perpetuity. No one's running a charity. And then two, uh, do you see this more in line with like entertainment and people are coming here for entertainment or do you think there will be professional pixel vault players that are going to, uh, you know, like create a living from playing your game. Yeah. So the model, um, any game on reboot, the developer is able to set forth essentially what, what is somewhat similar to like a rake. So if you put in a dollar into the machine, you know, 90 cents, for example, on average will be returned to the player. And so unlike, uh, I think, a lot of the problems and, and pain points with people relating to royalties where people felt like it was extractive, uh, that perhaps the project didn't deserve the royalty. Here, uh, it's based on the best games, right? The best games get the quarters. And so um, you're really only generating this royalty-like um, mechanic if people want to play your game. So um, it's it's basically a small take on the game, and then also the validators and the liquidity providers, etc. cetera. Uh, they receive a small fee based on the gameplay, and then everything else is paid back out to the players. So really all of the value in uh, a single instance of the game is being captured by those that are are actually bringing value to the system, whereas in traditional gaming um you have these platforms that are taking 30 percent off the top and therefore players uh are getting much less in return and game developers are getting much less in return and uh this hopefully should should write that um that model good no i mean that makes sense uh when we're looking at companies like DraftKings or fanduel or daily fantasy sports, the one of the primary components that they have it is new client acquisition. It, because if you're, you know, you don't have to be like a, a advanced econ it, major to realize that if you're taking ten percent off of every deal, um, sooner or later, it, uh, the people 
kind of run out of money. So you need to kind of keep fueling that fire. How are you viewing the new client acquisition beyond the Pixel Vault community? Like what, what do you view as the ways that you're going to reach out beyond uh, the current universe of 5,000 people or however many people are within the Pixel Vault community? Yeah, so uh, first we have a, a pretty strong affiliate system built into Reboot. So uh, in what we all see, the next generation of gaming and entertainment, content creators are king. Uh, and so by virtue of being um, someone that is promoting games on our platform, you're able to reap significant benefits uh, by virtue of, of drawing people to the ecosystem. So that's one. And then the second is by virtue of all of the games being on a singular token, um, everybody that is within the ecosystem already is highly incentivized to continue to uh, expand the potential pool of players. So one, to create demand for the assets in a given game, but two, to draw more games to the ecosystem. Um, and the hardest thing to do uh, in sort of existing gaming models is to capture that initial community. So Pixel Vault is obviously going to be seeding this protocol uh, and our community will have uh, the opportunity to build out this ecosystem uh, from the get-go. But you can imagine that the more uh, communities, the more companies begin building on this protocol, uh, the greater the benefits to everyone, right? Uh, continuing to build that audience. Uh, and as I said, the best games get the quarters. So uh, really, it's going to be uh, completely player and creator-based um mechanics uh incentivizing uh future user growth so DraftKings can't do this right because it's all built on usd uh there's there's no there's no incentive necessarily for you to get your friend to play the game uh other than you know just maybe wanting but to DraftKings compete. has like referrals right there's refer a friend bonuses there there's Minimal, things of that i mean it's you know five, 10 bucks so, or something, which is why they have to do so much advertising. So do you foresee putting together a material advertising budget for this outside of the referral thing, or you're just kind of all in on the referral based aspect of it? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, uh, well, when something is built on a single token, right? you are incentivized to bring other people to that ecosystem, right? Uh, just like ETH, just like any ecosystem on the blockchain, the more demand there is for that asset, the better off uh, you are. But also uh, these mechanics underlying um, uh, like the, the affiliate rewards, um, it's really built for an ecosystem that is... Uh, leveraging social media, Discord, you know, Twitch, uh, streamers, right? Um, all of these mechanics are uh, intended to help uh, substantiate, essentially, um, uh, what's the word I'm going for? Um, like careers in this space, right? Uh, professional gamers right now, only the top, you know, 0.0001% of players are able to actually make 
um, a living based on the gameplay itself. And so uh, with the run-up in crypto in the early days, you saw a lot of people having a ton of success uh, by virtue of the platforms that they had built for themselves on, on different social media uh, platforms and getting referrals. And so we're, we're leveraging a very similar mechanic there. No, no. I mean, that, that makes sense. What, um, what is kind of your time frame for when you anticipate this being live and a playable game? Um, so, yeah, we're planning to launch in May, uh, both the protocol and uh, the first game. Got it. Yeah, um, so one of the things, there, there's kind of two things that I think it's fair to address. And uh, yeah, I'm not trying to bring a hammer on you here, but one of the things that I've been critical of in the past and critically publicly is organization. Um, Just kind of having a sales funnel or a branding funnel that allows a new user to understand your ecosystem. Is that something that you're going to be working on to change or to streamline or to build out some sort of a pipeline so that somebody has a landing page that they can go to that explains how all the pieces come together? Yeah, so, I mean, we sort of led the way into the creation of these complex ecosystems. And now now that everyone uh, is complex, it's very hard for the average individual that's just looking to participate as a hobby uh, to really um, understand or pay attention to too many projects at the same time. And so our greatest push in 2023 is to simplify our ecosystem. Um, and Reboot is going to be a huge part of that. And so if you've recently watched some of our marketing material, uh, we referred to a supernova, and that's really going to be um, a restructuring of Pixel Vault in general, Um, trying to make it a very simple, uh, easy-to-understand ecosystem to participate within. And so, you know, People that want to be a part of the ecosystem know exactly how to enter. But of course, there are many layers to the onion. And so you can go deeper and deeper the, the you know, more you want to participate uh, and be a part of that community. And so uh, this first game with inhabitants, I think, is going to be uh, a clear exemplar for what it will be like to be... Um, a community, a project under the Pixel Vault umbrella, and then ultimately we'll end up recreating that um, beginning with punks. Um, and so uh, I think it should all be a lot more clear uh, come April, May. No, I, I mean, I think that's logical. I think that's, and look, again, I think it's good that you're getting out in front of things. I think it's good that you're being the voice of the brand. I think there's a lot of good things happening here. Um, on the contrast of that, how does this benefit directly the holders or the buyers of the assets that are currently out there? I know there's you know three hundred thousand ish NFTs out there. How does this game benefit those people that were your early and mid level supporters of your brand? Yeah. So as I was mentioning, uh, creating the ecosystem to be based around a singular token. Uh, and allowing the community to participate in the underlying mechanics that um, that support uh, the ecosystem. Um, I think at the outset, and actually this is something that 
I was talking to you about yesterday with this idea of investors and investment that, uh, you know, some NFT purchasers were really sort of getting into this, I think, for the wrong reasons and potentially wanting things to behave, you know, in like this security-like fashion, i.e. buy an asset and then just have it sort of pay you these, these passive rewards. Well, obviously, that's not something we can do um, uh, due to regulatory frameworks. Uh, but we wanted to find a way to really allow uh, the community to participate such that owning an asset in our ecosystem actually meant something. And so um, Reboot will be the first instance of that, um, allowing the community to, to act in many of the same um, ways that we as Pixel Vault are able to act by virtue of holding these tokens. Um, we've also continued to expand um, what we've been doing within our community itself. So our, our core committee, uh, they're all under NDA, but they get to basically advise us as we, um, as we come up with concepts for the rollout of, of different aspects of our ecosystem. We run everything by them. They give us feedback prior to launching and, you know, we, we basically iterate in real time with our community. And so um, those token holders are compensated for the services that they provide Pixel Vault. Uh, and again... So, th so those, yeah. are paid, those are paid roles. The, the community is a paid so if, role. So if, if you have a core, you're able to apply to this committee. Um, and I mean, it's not like huge compensation, but... Um, the idea here is trying to lean into what it, what it truly should mean to be a Web3 project and um, interact with the community and, and actually uh, have them helping to build this in real time. And so uh, we're, we're trying to push in that direction in every way we can uh, this year and really getting back to a lot of our Web3 roots. Um, and so far, so good. Uh, I think you've seen a, a pretty seismic shift in sentiment. Um, and we're really just getting started. So excited for the actual rollout of, of many of these things that we've been working on for the last year, uh, really in, in silence due to some, uh, I'll say, missteps from a, from a marketing and communication standpoint last year. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's it's onward and upward from here. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's a valid perspective, right? Uh, you've made some marketing missteps. Every brand, every entrepreneur I know makes mistakes. That part, it happens. And I think it's, there's a compounding effect of what goes on here. It, when you're right in Web3, your upside is asymmetrically good. It, you know, I mean, you wouldn't have raised $100 million in nine months in Web 2 with the same methodology. It was insanely perfect timing, perfect execution. And the flip side of that is you're almost always going to be punished uh, at the same level of aggression on the downside when you make a mistake. And, you know, no one runs perfect, perfect, perfect. And, like, I, I get that. So, I mean, I guess I'd love to hear as a human, for you as a person, what it's like to hit that high and to get that run up and then what it's like on the backside of that when 
okay, you've made some mistakes and like what it's like to have that public feedback. Uh, you know, I'd love to hear kind of the human side of being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, I mean, being an entrepreneur is hard enough, uh, let alone building in public. Um, you, you really sort of have to have a gambler's mentality to be an entrepreneur, continue to be willing to bet on your ideas, bet on yourself, bet on your team. Um, and, uh, that's, that's just always sort of been my makeup. Um, but getting into this, I certainly wasn't necessarily, um, thinking about the ways in which I would become sort of like this public persona, you know, uh, I guess the tiniest, tiniest of micro celebrity. Um, and so while in the bull market, it was amazing. You know, people were reaching out to me like, oh, thanks so much. Uh, paid off my student loans, paid off my house, quit this job I hate to, to do something I love. You know, it's been equally hard in this bear market cycle where, you know, some people were probably um, overextended at the top, uh, you know, buying at, at really high prices in the secondary market. And, um, you know, it's tough. It's tough to be a builder in that instance because uh, at, at the same time, you know, you're thinking, well, you know, I didn't sell it for that price, uh, but, it, but you also want every single one of your holders to be happy. Um, and certainly you don't want anyone losing money that they can't afford to lose. And so uh, it, it's, it's tough with the financialization of these ecosystems, um, dealing with, uh, you know, some of the, <laughs> the, uh, the angrier people on the internet, let's say, um, you know, I, I had to go through a, a time frame where someone was, uh, you know, posting basically my address online and making up lies about me. And, um, the internet doesn't really care about what is, is fact, right. Uh, perception is reality. And so I think I probably mismanaged some of that, uh, based on, advice I was given, uh, basically just, you know, not wanting to give that person oxygen, right? You don't want to give oxygen to a fire, but now it's sort of been persistent, right? So now I'm out on uh, sort of the, the social media tour and just trying to really give people an idea of who I am as a person, who Pixel Vault is as a company, all the amazing people that we've hired from within the community that like really do give a shit about um, one, Web3, but two, uh, our holders and, and trying to build something of value. So, uh, you know, it's, it's really just trying to right the ship this year. Uh, I think that uh, many sort of uh, casual onlookers probably don't realize how many different things that PV has done that have become sort of widely used or accepted within the space. And the only reason that we've, we've been able to do that is because we are constantly pushing the boundaries. And so um, there's that famous sort of Zagabon thread where, you know, he talks about how hard it is to build in an ecosystem that is, by virtue of the technology, permanent. And thus, you know, he exper experimented on a couple different projects before he got it right with Azuki. Well, I mean... You can think of PV as something similar, but you know we've 
we've stuck with it, right? And so, yes, the technology is permanent. However, uh, you know, trying to get creative and trying to find ways that uh, we can, you know, learn from from missteps um, and and create something that is is valuable for the people that have participated from day one uh, has always been sort of a, a core a core belief for all of us on the team. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, in 2022, there were there were some difficulties. I think we made some big quote unquote bets into the concept of DAOs into this idea of high supply with fun burn mechanics. And, you know, people really got hung up on, you know, uh, high supply NFTs. Um, there was definitely some burning that happened, but maybe not the mechanics that you hoped. For, well, right? I mean, you know, it didn't... We, we have, so the, the, the dot, which was originally sidekicks, I mean, it started out at something like 95,000 and we're already down below uh, I think like 60. So the mechanics work and they're a lot of fun for those paying attention. The problem is it just creates sort of like this easy target for those that want to be negative. It's just like, oh, you know, PV, haha, like let's go mint another project. Well, I mean, if, if you're paying attention and you actually understand the core idea behind it, which obviously our, our loyal community members do, I think they would all say that DOTS have been a tremendously successful project once you actually get into it. But it's hard to get people across that um, sort of like mental block uh, once, you know, once that's become the narrative. So, um, yeah, basically working to no, reset I think, I think the narrative. I think that's really important. And one thing I will say is... It, I haven't always agreed with the things that you've done, but I've never seen anything from you that I thought was nefarious or fraudulent or intentionally ill-willed. And I think that's a really big caveat that people have a hard time differentiating in the Web3 space. There are objectively founders of top projects that have defrauded people, that have lied, that have taken tens of millions of dollars off the table purely at the expense of their investors or purchasers or whatever you want to call it. Um, and when I say investor, I don't mean investor in a security. You can, uh, you can invest in a Rolex. It doesn't give you equity in the brand. So I'm not saying that these are you know, securities in any capacity, but you know, there have been founders out there that have explicitly said these are investments. And then once they started going badly, they're like, oh, no, they're collectibles. I don't think you've fallen under that category. And that's actually one of the reasons why I did want to speak with you here today is because it, making mistakes or being an entrepreneur. I, I've never met an entrepreneur that doesn't make mistakes. I've never met an investor that doesn't make mistakes. And that to me is always OK. It's just that, you know, there's that big factor of the difference between someone who's fraudulent and intentionally taking advantage of other people in a predatory manner and somebody who might have tried something that didn't work out. I, I tend to put you pretty far into the category of, hey, you've tried some stuff, didn't always work out. Uh, like, I, I personally think the oversupply, it was a bit much, but hey, you had a plan and you, you gave it a shot and it didn't work. I like that you're moving forward into the gaming space with the things. 
Um, I do see that we have Goose Egg uh, up here. If you're okay, uh, I think that's one of your community members. Love to field some questions He's, from the audience. And... No, so Goose is actually our, our head of gaming. Uh, I was trying to get him up when you were uh, uh, asking us a bunch of questions about the game and the protocol. Um, <clears throat> Goose has a, a really lengthy career in uh, traditional gaming, but also uh, in research uh, relating to the blockchain. And so... Um, as we wanted to shift into gaming, you know, myself not coming from a traditional gaming background, as I mentioned, it's, I've always been more in sort of like the skill-based peer-to-peer game theoretical collecting type, type games. Uh, but Aaron um, was, was sort of a godsend. Uh, we, were, we were introduced to one another through a, a common friend at Epic Games. And uh, seeing the writing on the wall a year plus ago that um, for long-term sustenance of uh, an ecosystem in the Web3 space, that that gaming, traditional gaming, would become increasingly important. Uh, we, we sort of set out internally to find that person that could really, um, you know, lead us uh, in the direction that I think we need to go. And, uh, and Goose has, has, uh, has certainly run with that. And uh, I, I'm I'm positive you will find him very interesting. So, yeah, Goose, maybe you want to intro yourself briefly. Yeah, sure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sorry, sorry for being late. A uh, little calendar scheduling issue. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've been in games like you know basically what uh, G Fun said. I've been in games you know basically my whole life. Um, kind of with a bent in uh, like economic design of games. Um, and then as a CEO myself, uh, a couple companies that I sold recently in the gambling space and the casual mobile free-to-play space. Um, so yeah, and I, you know, like, like you said, I have an academic background in cryptography and cryptographic protocols. Um, you know, when I was in grad school, designed um, like a decentralized uh, protocol for, you know, letting game, like doing real-time games uh, between anonymous peers in a decentralized way where like peers could drop off and you could um, secure the gameplay regardless of, you know, holes in the state space. Um, and so that was like in the era when crypto, you know, uh, whatever blockchains were just coming, coming into being. And so like my background in research comes from like that same kind of cohort of researchers um, but I, you know, started game company after that and then have only just come back to the blockchain space and, you know, sort of realized how all that background is suddenly relevant. And um, G-Funk gave me a space to sort of express that. Very cool. Uh, love to kind of touch on what I was touching on with uh, John, which new client acquisition strategy. So um, in your previous games, was it all peer-to-peer acquisition and that's how it worked? Or how did you find it working in the past and you know, my concern with it is that, you know, if, if you're fully reliant only on people in the peer-to-peer -peer structure, that at some point those people start to look like they're shilling and have to kind of pull it back a little bit. Like you'll hit an initial influx, but like just kind of curious on your new client acquisition strategy. That's the long and the short of it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so user acquisition... Uh, player acquisitions, like big topic in gaming and, um, you know, kind of a newer one, honestly, because like in the old days, you know, you worked with a publisher and they do like magazine articles and they do like, 
I don't know, ads or like billboards or buses and things like that. And so it was all like pay to acquire users. Um, and then in my experience in like the social space, um, you know, you, you relied, you started seeing kind of like the social acquisition, like people being incentivized through gameplay or game mechanics to go and, you know, bring in, you know, other people or like uh, their friends, like get their friends involved or play with their friends, like give them mechanics that made social uh, interactions kind of interesting. Um, and then more recently, like in the mobile space, it kind of went back to all, and even in social, like went back to all paid acquisition, where it's just like, you know, dump, you know, half your budget into Facebook ads or Apple ads or whatever, you know, garbage ad network ads. <laughs> Uh, and you do like a CPM basis user acquisition. Uh, and the problem with that, right, is um, all that money that's going to acquiring ads. It's an arms race between every other game developer on the market. Plus, you know, the money that could have been used to put into like making the games fun, um, you know, is going off into, I don't know, you know, some scummy ad executives pocket. Sorry for any ad executives on the call. I don't really mean that. But, you know, just imagine, you know, from a point of a creative standpoint, like all that budget that you could be using to make the game go, you know, better. You know, a lot of our games we found, like, <clears throat> we had to budget like 50% of our whole budget just for user acquisition to make a successful mobile game, uh, which just sucks because, you know, an extra 50% budget can make like a tremendously better game. Uh, and so what I've, but what is kind of interesting now uh, in the current gaming market is actually a lot of game devs rely on influencer marketing and they rely on just people like organically streaming content. Um, like, you know, like, hey, uh, like, I think like watch me play or something like that or, or like esports, like so esports and games <clears throat> is huge for that exact reason where it's not, it's not necessarily like <clears throat> paid acquisition. Uh, people are doing it out of the goodness of their own heart and there's but it's well it's also not exactly that either because there's other incentives that come from like youtube like oh i need content so i'll stream myself playing the games and streamers love gaming content because there's always like novel stuff going on things to react to like it's a constant source of content uh and novel content especially multiplayer games or like esports like playing competitively and things like that so if we're referencing esports though you, you know the contrast there is most of those are like dynasty games right like if you're looking at madden or something like that and i i see there's multiple strategies right like you could do like stardew valley and it's one person no marketing budget just build but like you think fortnite's a dynasty game or you think like uh, StarCraft or um, like I mean, League of Legends or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, well, okay. each one of these is a, like a, a monster in the space, right? So like some of them are going to be Dynasty where you've had multiple repeats off of it. Uh, League of Legends or these other games, you're starting out with these like enormous client bases. So I, that's where I'm... And I'm not saying you're wrong on it. Like, I mean, you're the expert. I, I'm just kind of armchair quarterbacking. Um, but when I look at these games, it, they have monster uses, right? Like in the tens of millions of monthly active users. How did they initially get those like 10 million would be my question. Because once you well, have the YouTube... It is it's influencer marketing. Like even like every indie game, like you go look on YouTube, people are streaming. Like there's whole YouTube channels devoted to like niche gaming markets. Like, uh, I mean, I think... Esports are nice. I mean, it's true. Like that's like the biggest, most like easily recognizable one. But like, 
you know, streamers and Twitch people are, they're always looking for content. And so they're always looking for new games and it's not always streaming like the most notable one because everyone's streaming those ones. So it's actually, um, I kind of, I mean, I would just be a little reflective on like, go take a look at Switch. Like they're not all streaming Madden. They're not all streaming League of Legends. They're not all streaming Fortnite. It's like, you know, any game. I guess my question is, did those games initially, they got off the ground with, influencer marketing and, and how did that work just so i understand like how did fortnite become fortnite i guess is a good question for the audience sure how did fortnite become fortnite well not a fortnite historian but i mean it started kind of in the traditional i would guess that it would start in the traditional space like epic's kind of a big name right and so they have a whole marketing department and so they do i'm sure they had you know massive marketing initial marketing spend and then as part of the marketing spend like you know you finance any kind of esports league like that's just part of doing influencer marketing is part of a marketing strategy and doing esports is also part of a marketing strategy so it's um it's not one thing or the other right it's how you launch a game like you do anything that's hot that gets it done and right now for you know i think influencer marketing specifically and like esports marketing and like providing content for new games like new entrants into the marketplace it's like you know probably number one way right because uh competing with an ad budget of a company like epic is impossible yeah and, you know one of the advantages you'll have is you probably have 500 or a thousand users that are going to come in day one right so like you're not going to start off with zero i think that's a big advantage that any nft brand has um i think that that's going to be the pro i think the biggest challenge you're going to run into with this is how you get beyond those first thousand well i mean take a take a look at axie infinity like how much ad spend did they spend and you can still find like dedicated like hundreds of ad dedicated axie infinity streaming channels uh, so that then there you're looking at, you know, I don't know how many players they have off the hand, off the top, uh, but, you know, you have, you know, essentially entirely 100% influencer based marketing and promotion um, around a Web3 title. Um, so it's, yeah, I mean, so, you know, it, from my point of view, like applying that same logic to anyone making that uh, an open opportunity where it's like, hey, you actually have a way to. Um, have competitive games that have, you know, their own incentive, either through just the actual active playing of the game, plus uh, built in incentive structure uh, for those who are going to stream it anyways, like it seems like a slam dunk. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm excited to try the game out. Um, what are the stakes that will be held at the game? Am I buying in for $5? Am I buying in for $500,000? Like, <sighs> What would be like the low end and what would be kind of like at the highest stakes, something that you could expect I might be able to put up, it, you know, you know, like the high roller room? What would be the, yeah. the, the penny ante and the high roller room? What would you expect on those two? Sure. Yeah, I mean, like we, the economic model for the game or any, any game on the protocol is like your, you know, essentially your quarter that you put into the machine is your wager. So there's no such thing as like a high stakes bet or low stakes bet. It's just like, you know, your entry fee is is the amount that you're, you know, kind of like got at risk. Uh, and then the, how, how much you can multiply that is determined by, you know, sort of your own appetite for difficulty or risk is, you know, depending on how you want to characterize it. Um, and so that particular entry cost like that is we're not we haven't zeroed in on that. Um, so we got to like we're still doing kind of market research and talking to our community. But 
um, yeah, we're going to zero in on sort of like what is the equivalent of a quarter in this kind of arcade, and then that will probably fluctuate as we as we learn more about this market. Yeah, so to drill in there a bit um, on the quarter concept, right? Uh, it needs to be substantial enough that the people feel as though there is skin in the game and there is something of value to be to be earned uh, by virtue of uh, your your outcomes in the game. Um, and as Goose was just saying, uh, really the 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 potential reward is dictated by uh, you know how difficult of opponents you want to play. So. Something I had always wanted them to implement on DraftKings, for example, is imagine being able to take a head-to-head -head with one of the top players in the world, but you actually are getting odds uh, based on uh, the convergence of your actual skill level. And so after roughly four to six plays, uh, our Glico 2 rating system, which takes into account uncertainty, can have a really strong idea of how good you are as a player. And so... Uh, when you're matched up with players of greater skill than yourself, you're actually, um, if you if you come out victorious, you're you are going to have outsized rewards, and so uh, you as a player have the ability to dictate if you are going to be matched up with people of very similar skill levels, or if you want to take on a wider spectrum of of uh, of players, and so it it should be really fun uh, based on on skill. And I think at the end of the day, that's really how people want to be judged as skill and not just, you know, clicking a button, uh, showing up, punching a clock every day. That shouldn't be what a game is about. Yeah. I'm curious how, how that plays out. Do you, uh, could I run a thousand games at one time on your platform or is it limited to a fixed number of games per account or like IP address? Um, it would be, I mean, yeah, uh, if, if you want to like run a bot, I don't know how you play a thousand games simultaneously as a human, but if you want to run a bot off of a single wallet, you can do that. Um, the restriction would be, you know, it's still, you have to somehow keep your bot within the, um, rating level that you're competing at or that you want, you know, kind of your odds to be marked at, uh, in which case you're playing against other players or bots kind of at the same rating level, um, and then, you know, if you want to run a bot that like can beat everyone, um, then you'll just be, you know, that bot will just end up playing with other bots. Um, so that's kind of, I, I don't know, is that getting at the question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess the biggest question that I have, and then I, I want to let Lucky answer. I know that we're almost at an hour. I, I don't want to take up too much of anyone's time. Um, how do you account for someone sandbagging and then playing hard when the stakes are higher or playing hard when the odds are better? How, how do you factor that in? Yeah. Yeah. So um, the rating system we're using that Sean referenced, Glico, it's like ELO, but it's modified where it's got a uh, um, confidence interval around it. Um, and so in the confidence interval, we use to adjust essentially the fees um, that it costs to secure a session, which has an effect on the rewards that you get, like the scale of the rewards. And so if you are sandbagging, if you are playing outside of your converged rating, it'll have an effect on your, um, essentially your yield from uh, potential wins. Um, so it's designed to be just objectively a worse strategy and like an objectively a worse way of um, extracting value from the system. Uh, whereas playing closer to your rating, you know, not trying to hack the rating system, uh, the, the system in 
kind of incentivizes you and rewards you for playing closest to your converged rating. No, I mean, uh, that makes sense. I'm, I'm very, look, I think it's a very exciting idea. I think that your team has an enormous advantage of you're one of the first, yeah, I mean, Axie is obviously way ahead, but you're one of the first playable games that has like a game that goes with it that's in the space. I mean, I, I know that Wolf Game kind of has a game of sorts, but it's, it's not, you know, I don't think most traditional gamers would uh, look at Wolf Game and say like that that's a game in line with trad gaming so i mean i think you'll you're gonna have an advantage like you got the first mover advantage i think it's going to be very important that you reach a critical mass and i think that um you know i think the largest concern that i probably have just being objective is how do you manage botting and cheating and things of that nature because when you're in a skill-based environment that's you know when there when there's a honeypot it's gonna you know like attract flies or whatever you want to call it and so you just got to be thoughtful of how to manage that and be transparent, but not so transparent that somebody reverse engineers your AI or your algo and, it, you know, runs something against it. So, I mean, I, I'm excited. I, I'm excited to see what your team does. Lucky, I'll let you ask a question. And then I think we got to wrap after that. Hey, GM Josh, GM G Funk, and uh, the rest of the Skybrook community. See a lot of friends and familiar faces in here. Um, G Funk, I'm, I'm interested in, you know, the current state that we're in in our industry where, you know, we're not really growing in terms of numbers. We're not really growing in terms of volume. But I, I do believe, and I think everybody that's here and, and why everybody's here believes that one day, you know, this, you know, industry will pick up again and continue to soar. In that interim period and, and going forward, what, and, and, and this is in conjunction with your marketing efforts and your advertising, what are you appealing to people based on, especially in, in gaming where a lot of gamers are, are weary to get involved in NFTs or even really mention the word NFT? Like, are you appealing to the fun aspect, the competitive nature, digital ownership? What's kind of uh, the, the strategy there? And, and is that uh, more of attract, pursue, extract? Um, any thoughts you have? Yeah. So uh, to your point, right, we've reached this this period where uh, we're sort of stagnant in terms of user growth. And uh, it's a lot of interaction with the same group of people. And I, honestly, I think that's healthy. And I think it's to be expected. Um, PV itself was a bit offsides when that hit. But, uh, you know, the market operates in cycles. And so I'm not overly concerned uh, that, that we're in sort of this stagnant period. And so what we're trying to do at Pixel Vault is build uh, things for the, the long-term growth of the ecosystem, but tailoring it to uh, the actual ecosystem participants that we, we have today. Because ultimately, I think what is good for everyone here today will be what creates that next leg up in the space. Um, as I mentioned uh, earlier in the call, uh, trying to align incentives between uh, company and community. I think that really was the promise of Web3 and what uh, brought a lot of people in. And so with royalties going away, which uh, I, I know there are a lot of different opinions on that, but you know, myself personally, that's really one of the things that drew me to the space before I ever had a project, this idea of 
the ability to create an artistic renaissance where uh, artists were able to reap the rewards of, of their work from much earlier in their career and the work that they continue to do, um, they are benefited by every step that they've taken prior to that point. And so, you know, I'm a little bit, uh, you know, upset with the direction we've taken of late, but I do think it'll all work itself out. And so us as, you know, art is a piece of what we do, but, uh, you know, we're not a tr an artist in a traditional sense. We had to figure out a way to to supplement and and create basically a new business strategy, and so um, making sure that that is focused on driving benefit to the ecosystem participants. Whether in in your question, you actually mentioned a lot of them. I think it's all of the above, right? You want fun and enjoyment. You want this idea of you know, digital identity, right? As more and more of our lives are spent online, you know, how do you want to define yourself in these virtual worlds? Uh, this sense of community, again, with us being online and uh, I, the pandemic really uh, kicked this into overdrive, you know, finding like-minded people um, to, to chat with. I mean, I relocated to Florida and I don't really have any friends down here, but I certainly never feel lonely because I've got this whole group of, of online friends and, you know, much of our company I had never met for six plus months, uh, after founding pixel vault. And whenever we meet up in person, it, it's just like without skipping a beat, you know, you've got friends and community. So I really think that that should be what it's all about. It should be about enjoyment. Um, I'm a speculator. I've, I've always liked financial, financialized things, like I mentioned with baseball, basketball cards, et cetera. But really at the end of the day, that was kind of like the, the icing on the cake, right? It wasn't the substance. Um, I just, I loved baseball. I loved basketball. I loved sports and I loved the community and, and rooting interest that came with that. The, the financial aspect was, was just upside. And so I think continuing to, to lean into some of those core components of community building, uh, creating fun experiences for people, and then having that financial aspect as sort of icing on the cake is where we need to get back to because uh, I, I don't think, um, you know, say what you will about Blur, I think they've created a great product, but I don't think uh, it's bringing out what is best or, or ideal in this space. Uh, I think it's uncovering a lot of systemic problems that we have today. I don't think they're creating them. They're just um, unveiling them, I guess. And so it's on groups like Pixel Vault to, to try and lead with, with what we think is the long-term sustainable um, business model and environment for, for companies and communities to succeed. And so, um, yeah. Really, it just comes down to winning together. If we don't win together, none of it matters. So, um, yeah, focusing on fun during the bear market while uh, while price might not be be helping us. But uh, I'm uh, cautiously optimistic. Uh, I think we might be entering a good phase for crypto here. So, I, I tend to agree with that. I, I think that's. I know we're wrapping up on the hour. I want to be respectful of your time. I want to be respectful of Aaron's time, but. I think that's going to be the key to success or failure of your venture within the gaming space is far more of a focus on is it fun? 
Right. right. Uh, at the end of the day, I think that it's always a little bit more fun to watch a football game if you have 10 or 20 bucks on it. Um, and I think that if you can create a product that highlights the fun aspect and you're essentially making these wagers in the same way it, that you would be just putting a coin into uh, an arcade, it, that it's if it's a fun game and it's enjoyable and it's somewhat addictive, I think you'll be very, very successful with that. I think that if there is more weight on the financialization of things, I think it won't be successful. And that that's like my general take on it. And I think that, you know, the idea of keeping a matchmaking system in place, keeping stakes low and keeping it in that range of like um, fun, right? Like if it's, if it costs the same price as a movie ticket or a cup of coffee or something like that, it, that's where I think that people are coming and they're knowing that they're paying for an entertainment expense. I think where things get really skewed is when things start to get into a ecosystem, either from a psychopathology or from just a utility standpoint that the people are coming for the money. Uh, when, when people come for the money, there's no buy pressure. And once the money runs out, then so too does the game. So I think you yeah. had to with it. There. Yeah, exactly. We've, we've ended up with sort of these perverse incentives in, in the ecosystem. And so, you know, to your point, uh, as a sports fan, you know, throwing 20 bucks on the game makes the game more fun for me. But at the end of the day, it, it does come back to myself being a sports fan, right? Uh, we don't we don't want the bet to be the the primary driver, and I think unfortunately that's where we've ended up uh, in the the Web three space uh, at large. Is it's all just entirely focused on the the financial aspect. Um, but the people that remain here today, I think that's very much not the case, um, especially in Pixel Vault. I mean, uh, I w- I would argue that we're one full cycle ahead of uh, ninety nine percent of projects like we we experienced that pain that most of these projects are going through now we experienced it early last year with you know with beanie and and all the fud that was turned towards pv uh and so we're coming out the other side we've we've learned a lot through that time and everybody that's here with us i think is is here for a lot more than just the financial uh component but certainly that's just as I said before, the icing on the cake. So uh, trying to keep everything balanced, everything in line and just create fun experiences for people. I I think that's great. I think that's the right way to look at it. And, you know, to me, the key to that is probably the bet size. If you and I sit down and play a game of poker together and we're playing $10 buy-in, it's going to be pretty fun. If you and I sit down and play a game of poker together and it's a $100,000 buy-in, it's going to be real serious. And and I just think that that type of mentality of making sure in your marketing, in your branding, that it's really about the fun component of it, I think your success or failure will ride on if this game is fun. You know, to me, uh, a fun game, Clash of Clans, I might spend a couple hundred bucks on it. I like it. I hate it, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, I'll spend the money because it's, it's fun, it's addicting, and then eventually I you know, realize I wasted my money and go away. It, but you know, for me, gaming, I'm looking at stuff like Elden Ring. I'm dropping 70 bucks, And at times, if I'm really enjoying a game, 
even if it's free, sometimes I'll uh, buy something and it's just kind of support the developers, Rocket League. Maybe I'll buy a goal explosion or something because I think it's a really enjoyable game and I kind of want to support the devs behind it. So I think if you can get into that component, I think you'll be very, very successful. I do agree. You are a cycle ahead. I'm not aware of many other playable games that came from having a spike in the 2021 era and are going back into that playable game. So I'm excited for you. I'm excited to see what's next. Me too. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Certainly our, our loyal community definitely deserves it. They've dealt with a lot of bullshit over the last year. So uh, I'm, I'm very excited for this next chapter. Well, look, I, I really appreciate you coming out. I've been a staunch critic. It's not easy to come on and confront that head on. Aaron, thank you for taking your time as well. Um, appreciate you both. Uh, I'm now a member of Founders Dow. I figured out my way into that uh, ecosystem, and uh, you know, I just appreciate you guys coming on here today. It's very good for a lot of reasons, and I uh, just want to say thank you. Yeah, thank, thanks for having us, and uh, let's let's run it back once the game's up and running. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll play together. That sounds good. Awesome. All right, there, guys. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye.